Welcome to episode number 54 of More Than Bread. I'm your host for this podcast, and the title for the podcast comes from a phrase in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The full phrase has to do with where we go to find life. We need something more than bread. We need the words of God. For the last dozen episodes, we've been doing a a deep dive into the words of God found in the Gospel of John. And in this episode, we're in John chapter 9. Now, John 9 contains another sign story. Remember, John shapes his gospel on seven miraculous signs and seven I am statements by Jesus, both the signs and the identity statements like, I am the bread of life, I'm the bread sent down from heaven, I am the light of the world. Um, Those identity statements and the miraculous signs reflect on Jesus. They describe him. They They reveal who he is. And remember, the sign is more than just a miracle. It tells us something about Christ. It points to something. Signs point to something. In John 9, the sign is about sight. In John 8, if you remember the last episode, we heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. In John 1, remember all the way back, we heard John say that Jesus is the light of the world that gives life to those who believe. And when the light shines in the darkness, John said, the light always wins. In John chapter 9, the light gives sight to a blind man. Jesus is the light that gives sight. Jesus is the light that gives sight. Now, John Eldridge describes an experience that he and his family endured in Alaska. They were in a plane running low on fuel, and they had circled for what seemed an eternity, but still the fog refused to lift. Rain and mist surrounded the windshield, and as they they all strained to find a break in the clouds, nobody wanted to leave, but running out of gaffs was not a very good option. The weather was rough, and below them was the ocean, and by chance they survived the crash They that lasted about seven minutes in the icy waters. Three more minutes, the pilot yelled above the drone of the plane's engines. Three more minutes, and we have to turn back. We'll give it one more pass. They'd come to see Fairweather Mountain. As John Eldridge writes, Fairweather Mountain is a total misnomer. With a name like that, don't you picture some lovely place in Hawaii or maybe Costa Rica, balmy breezes, gentle green slopes, the weather always, well, fair. (laughs) These mountains explode 15,000 feet above sea level right off the coast of Alaska. Sheer cliffs and foreboding glaciers. Some of the world's worst weather hangs out in this place. The pilot was yelling. They get their name because you can only see them in fair weather. (laughs) What idiot came up with that cleverness? They ought to have named them the peaks of frozen death or the don't even think about it mountains. Fair weather around here, Eldridge writes, that means maybe 20 days a year if you're lucky. Well, that day they got lucky. With minutes to spare, the clouds parted for the most breathtaking view of a lifetime. Vertical granite walls that rose and fell thousands of feet on either side. White cascades of ice falling through thin air. 20 clear days a year, if you're lucky. (laughs) I don't know about you. Sometimes that seems like it describes my life. Have you ever felt like you were living life in a fog? Perhaps even at times when it doesn't seem like it describes our life, it really does. We're, we're living blind. We, we don't see. Not really. Not clearly. Sometimes we're seeking clarity of vision, but sometimes we don't even know what we can't see because we're living life blind. And you understand, I'm, I'm not so much talking about physical sight. I'm talking about something more real, more true. This is what Paul was discussing in 2 Corinthians 4.18 when he wrote, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Let me give you an example of this. Lynn and I had just graduated from college. We'd gotten married and moved to Brooklyn, New York, worked to pay off college bills before starting to earn seminary bills. While we were there, we got involved in a little church. In fact, we became the youth leaders. It was a Wednesday night youth meeting. We finished our Bible study, and it was a nice night, so we decided to go outside. This is Brooklyn, so outside wasn't a nice yard. It was the front steps and the sidewalk. We came walking out, laughing and talking. You know, kids were having a good time. And and there sitting in the middle of our hangout space, right on the steps of the church, was this middle-aged man, disheveled, uh, dressed in the type of clothes that only the homeless wear, unkempt and talking quietly to himself. The kids parted like the Red Sea as they walked around him, so I knew that we all knew he was there. But it was almost like he was invisible. It was like he was sitting inside a box, and the box might have had a label on it, but no one really cared to look inside. It was just a box. No one acknowledged him. No one even joked about him. Even he recognized the box because in the midst of all those people, not once did he try to speak or even look at us. God was pushing me that evening to see, to open up my blind eyes, to look past what I could see to something unseen, but sometimes Honestly, it's easier to live life blind, less disruption, less mess, right? We were one of the last ones to leave that evening. We got into our car and we drove and no more than two blocks later, I just, I had to stop. I turned around and drove back, but he was gone. And at the time I thought, man, I missed an opportunity to serve somebody, Jesus in disguise. I failed the servant test. But at some point, God brought that experience back to me, and I sensed him saying, Dan, it wasn't so much that you missed an opportunity to serve. You missed an opportunity to see me at work. You failed the vision test. See, I I think this is one reason why Jesus got annoyed with the religious leaders of his day. They didn't get it. They couldn't see the work of God in the lives of the people around them. They were living blind. So with that thought in mind, Can you really see? What do you see? Are we living life blind? Listen along as I read John chapter 9. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. John 9 verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Jesus hits that statement again. This is one of John's favorite statements, right? One of Jesus' favorite statements. I am the light of the world. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. This was not that big a community. This man probably sat in this spot begging every day. And and as the people walked by him, they didn't even see him. They didn't even know if this was him. No, he just looks like him, they said. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? 
He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath. <laughs> my words, Jesus loved to heal on the Sabbath and he loved to, seems like he loved to heal on the Sabbath just to kind of tweak, just to tweak the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Because, verse 14, it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Jesus worked on the stinking Sabbath. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes. And when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. He's working on the Sabbath. He's working on the Sabbath. We hate it when people work on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been born, who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion of this man who healed you? The man replied, I don't know. I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son. And he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents actually said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, not before I continue on, just, just imagine the scene. Put yourself there. This man has just had the experience of a lifetime. Born blind, now he can see. And all anybody cares about is the fact that this man, Jesus, worked on the Sabbath, or they don't believe that he actually did it. This conflict going back and forth between Jesus and the religious leaders, amazing. It's ruining this guy's amazing experience. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. <laughs> I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you, I love these words. Look, the man exclaimed, verse 27. I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? <laughs> do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> then they cursed him said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Jesus heals this blind man, my words. And the Pharisees throw him out of the synagogue because they, he is not given the answer that they want. Now, when Jesus, verse 35, heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. 
Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. And before I go any further, just notice the progression here. First, Jesus was just a man who made a mud pack. I was blind and now I see. He, he did this cool thing. I was blind and now he did something for me. And, and, and then upon questioning, the man said, I don't know. He must be a prophet. There's got to be a connection between him and God. And then the next thing you know, he's the son of man. And this man believes in him. And he worships. He worshiped Jesus. Verse 39, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see, that think they see. See, this is not just about the blind seeing. This is about the seeing who are blind, who think they see, to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So as Jesus went along, he saw this man who's blind from birth. It sounds like mere descriptive filler, like, and as they went along, it was a sunny day. <laughs> you know, just, just descriptive filler. But in reality, the sentence leads us to the very heart of the story. Jesus sees. He notices what we leave unseen. He focuses in. Jesus sees the people that we miss. In our success-driven culture, there's so much conversation about vision, but we often relegate vision to having sight for achievement in the future. Jesus also had sight for the people in the moment. He, he didn't miss the people in the moment over and over again. Jesus sees people that we miss. He sees people living in the margins of life. He sees beyond the physical appearance, the spiritual realities, but he also sees the person. Whether it was Nicodemus or who came to Jesus at night or a crippled man who can't get himself in the healing pool or a woman at a well or, or a crowd. Remember the crowd that Jesus fed? That story started when Jesus saw a crowd in need of compassion. His disciples looked and they saw an inconvenience in need of elimination. Send them away, Jesus. Send them away so they can go take care of themselves, which really meant we want to live blind, Jesus blind to the people around us because we can't see glory in them. We see glory in you, and we want to be alone with you, Jesus. But Jesus sees the people we miss. This man that Jesus saw had lived blind since birth, and although we never know his name, he was known to his neighbors, people in the community of Jerusalem, but nobody brought him to Jesus. Nobody thought of that, or, or nobody cared. I mean, all of his life he had lived in darkness. He had no idea what it meant to see. Think about that. I mean, for just a moment, be him. Close your eyes and, and cover them with your hands. And just pause like that for a few moments. You don't know who's passing by. You don't know who sees you. As far as you know, if no one acknowledges you, no one sees you. Not only are you blind, you're, you're hidden. How does that feel? Well, what are you thinking? Later in the story, we find that he has parents, but everyone knows him as the blind man who sits and begs. So he's not only blind, but he lives in poverty. His suffering as a child has led to a lifetime of profound loss. But Jesus, man, don't miss this. Jesus sees him. You know, one thing I love about the Bible is that it doesn't skip the heart of the confusing things of life. It's filled with stories of people living life blind 
and people living life unseen. It, it speaks with great, great clarity and, and power to both. When the disciples see the blind man confronted by suffering, their first question is, Jesus, who sinned? That this man or his parents? Whose fault is it? What is the cause? Where's the karma? We do that, don't we? Something bad happens to someone, something bad happens to us, and we want to know why. What did I do to deserve this? If God is a good, loving, all-powerful God, then why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> Jesus could have taken the opportunity to preach the world's greatest sermon on the problem of evil and pain in the world. He could have solved it once and for all, and it would have been the answer for all those pain-filled questions. Why? But Jesus had a different, and I would suggest deeper response to the pain in front of him. He said, the only thing I'll say now is that this situation is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to be glorified. It's an opportunity to reveal the heart of God, to reveal the works of God. See, we're looking for cause, but Jesus sees opportunity. They say in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What is the cause of this blindness? Please explain this. Help us understand. And Jesus says, you're, you're looking in the wrong direction. Don't look for the cause, past tense, look for the purpose, future tense. In other words, the cause of your suffering will never outweigh the purposes of God. This blindness came so that the works of God could be revealed. I I don't know, perhaps the reason why we struggle with an explanation like that is that we don't fully value the works of God. Isn't that what Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 4.17? Pondering all the suffering we might face in this world, he writes, This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I just, I don't think we understand what an amazing privilege and honor it is to be a canvas for the work of God. I don't think we fully comprehend the deep sense of peace and satisfaction that comes when my life, when I realize, when I acknowledge that my life is a story that he's writing. Let, let me ask you a question. What stories do you tell and what stories do you hear? I mean, do you realize how much our sight is shaped by our stories? What if as you walk through life, you constantly rehearse a John 9, 3 story? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but his life and his suffering Even his suffering is meant to reveal the works of God. How would that change how you see people? What if you constantly rehearsed a narrative that that came from 2 Corinthians 4.17? My light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that is working in me. How would that change the way you see your circumstances? Sometimes we look at chapters in our lives and we begin to think, that's my, my whole story. That's the story of my life. We usually say those words after a failure when something doesn't go well. We say it in the midst of the hard chapter. Sometimes it's said in despair. And that's just the story of my life. But what if the story of your life is that your life in all its mess and difficulty and joy was all meant to come together to be a revelation of the art of God the art of his heart, the work of God, the the handiwork of God. You are what God does. What if you rehearsed a Philippians 1-6 story? That the God who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. See, the stories that we hear shape what we see. What, 
What narratives have you written for your own life? What narratives do you rehearse? What stories do you tell yourself or others about life, about God, about you, about others? Can you see how those stories shape what you see? The theologian Helmut Thilicki once wrote, Jesus gained the power to love harlots, bullies, and ruffians. He was able to do this only because he saw through the filth and crust of degeneration because his eye, listen, his eye was caught by the divine original, hidden in every way, in very many. Do you ever think about yourself that way? Do you ever rehearse that story about yourself that the eye of Jesus is caught by the divine original hidden in you? What if the story we rehearsed in our minds was a story of God's image hidden in the hearts of the people around us? How would that change our sight? See, Jesus was the light of the world who gave sight to the blind because he believed in an uncommon story, a story that was shaped by uncommon spiritual truths. How about you? What do you see? There's so much in John chapter 9 about the sight giver, the light who gives sight, about what it means for us to no longer be blind. Let, Let me read John 9 again from the Passion Paraphrase. Afterwards, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? Jesus answered, Neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime, and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. But as long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. (laughs) Then Jesus spat on the ground and he made some clay with his saliva and then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and he washed his face and he came back and he could see for the first time in his life, this caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood. For they noticed the blind beggar was now seen and they began to say to one another, isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some said, no, it can't be him. Others said, but it looks just like him. It has to be him. All the while, the man kept insisting, I am the man who is blind. Finally, they asked him, what has happened to you? And he replied, I met the man named Jesus. He rubbed clay on my eyes and said, go to the pool named Siloam and wash. So I went and while I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time ever. So the people of the neighborhood inquired, where is this man? I have no idea, the man replied. So the people marched him over to the Pharisees to speak with them. They were concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes happened on a Sabbath day, a day that no one was allowed to work. Then the Pharisees asked the man, how did you have your sight restored? He replied, a man anointed my eyes with clay and then I washed and now I can see for the first time in my life. And then an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said this man who performed this healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. Others said if Jesus was just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? This prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness, putting him on the spot in front of them all, demanding an answer. They asked, who do you say he is, this man who opened your blind eyes? He's a prophet of God, the man replied. 
Still refusing to believe that the man had been healed and was truly blind from birth, the Jewish leaders called for the man's parents to be brought to them. So they asked his parents, is this your son? Yes, they answered. Was he really born blind? Yes, he was, they replied. So they pressed his parents to answer, then how is it that he's now seen? We have no idea, they answered. We don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. Now, the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish religious leaders, for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus as the Messiah, they would be excommunicated. That's why they told them, ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. So, once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, Swear to God to tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? The healed man replied, I have no idea what kind of man he is. All I know is that I was blind, and now I can see for the first time in my life. But what did he do to you, they asked. How did he heal you? The man responded, I told you once and you didn't listen to me. Why do you make me repeat it? Are you wanting to be his followers too? (laughs) This angered the Jewish leaders. They heaped insults on him. We can tell you're one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses, for we know that God spoke to Moses directly. But as for this one, we don't even know where he's coming from. Well, what a surprise this is, the man said. You don't even know where he comes from, but he healed my eyes, and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but only to godly people who do his will. Yet who has ever heard of a man born blind that was healed and given his eyesight for the very first time? I tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like he has. Some of the Jewish leaders were enraged and they said, just who do you think you are to lecture us? You were born a blind, filthy sinner. So they threw the man out in the street. When Jesus learned that they had thrown him out, he went to find him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The man whose blind eyes were healed answered, Who is he, Master? Tell me so I can place all my faith in him. Jesus replied, You're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his feet and worshipped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I've come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind have come to make them see. Some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words. They interrupted Jesus and said, You mean to tell us that we are blind? Jesus told them, If you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains with you. I just want to pray for each and every one of us that we would have eyes to see. First of all, that we would have eyes to see Jesus in in all his glory, in all his humanity, that we would see his heart and that we would see the people that Jesus sees. The people that he saw while he was here on earth are the same exact people that he sees now. I want to pray that we have eyes to see. Holy Spirit of God, open our eyes. Not, Not just our physical eyes. We've come to rely so much upon our physical eyes, but But Jesus, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you open the eyes of our spirits so that we can see the unseen things that are even more real than what we see, what we depend upon? I pray for each and every person listening to these words, listening to my voice. Spirit of God, open their eyes. Open the eyes that Satan is blinded. Open the eyes that have been blinded by the ways of this world. Open open our eyes that have been blinded by the culture by our own ignorance, 
open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the people around us that you see, the people who are living life in the margins. Jesus, we we need sight. We need light. We need your light to shine in our darkness. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.